Let us pray. May God's word be preached. May God's word be heard. And may God's word be lived. Amen. Please be seated. Imagine, if you will, Queen Elizabeth came to Canada and she said, I will give myself to be killed to make restitution for the grave errors, the sins of, of the Canadian government in the past, particularly to the First Nation people. That would be wildly unexpected, unpredicted, crazy even. Is she out of her mind? This kind of thing doesn't happen in the realm of, of geopolitics. No political leader would offer themselves up to be a substitute for the grave errors of their nation, particularly in the past. We have the United Nation to work these things out. <laughs> There's bureaucracy and, and all these things to work these things out. The Queen, in particular, is protected at all costs from shame, humiliation, financial loss, harm, and ultimately from death. It would be a sign of weakness for her to give herself up like that. It would shatter all expectations. And the kingdom of God does just that. And we see this in our readings this morning as we celebrate the feast of St. James, as we honor St. James the Apostle. Now, <laughs> which St. James are we talking about here? There are many individuals in the New Testament who are named James. Jesus has a brother named James. There's, uh, uh, and, and we're not celebrating him today. Earlier in the year, there's, I can't remember who they put him together with, but there's a day where we celebrate one saint and then we celebrate the two other St. James. We celebrate uh, earlier the, the brother of Jesus. He wrote the book of James that we have in the New Testament. And then there's uh, St. James the younger or the lesser to, to distinguish him from St. James the greater who we commemorate today. Now, don't ask me why he's called St. James the Greater. Uh, I, I did not look into that. It would have been worth looking into. But we, but we know who he is. He is called the brother of John, the son of Zebedee. And we first encounter James the Greater. I'll refer to him as St. James from now on. We encounter him in St. Luke's Gospel in the fifth chapter he was part of a ragtag team of fishermen. And all night they can't catch a, a single fish. This is their job for crying out loud. How else are they going to survive financially if they can't do their job correctly? They've been out all night long and in the morning, this guy on the beach says, put your net on the other side. And they think, what does this guy know? They've been out all night. They know it's not going to work, but okay. And when they did, they had fish galore. Their nets were breaking, it says. They were amazed at the abundance of fish they had caught and the miracle they had witnessed. They were so amazed, in fact, that they left the boat and they left the great pile of fish and they went and immediately followed Jesus. 
So the James that we commemorate today was part of that group. And we saw that in our colloquy for today, the prayer that James left everything to go follow Jesus. So this, this reading isn't the focus. It's not part of our readings this morning, what I, what I, this, uh, this reading from Luke. What we, we, we're looking in Acts, we're looking in Mark, and looking particularly at what James and John asked Jesus. We're placed relatively near the end of, of Mark's gospel. It's a short gospel, but it's right before Jesus enters Jerusalem, before Palm Sunday. He's about to be crucified. He knows that. They've been with him for many years. They've seen him perform miracles. He's healed the sick. He's given sight to the blind. He's made the deaf to hear. He's healed the crippled. He's allowed le uh, the leprous to come near him. It was radical love. But what the disciples saw was amazing. He taught them many things about the kingdom of God in parables. He, uh, he battled it out <laughs> with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He argued with them. He challenged them. James and his brother John, they approached Jesus as they're on their way to Jerusalem. And they ask him, give us whatever we want. That sounds like a kid asking their parent, give me whatever I want. Give me. <laughs> That's quite a bit of nerve. <laughs> it's gutsy. And, and Jesus says, what would you like? They reply, we would like to sit on your right hand and on your left. In other words, they wish to have a place of authority in Jesus' kingdom. They, along with the other disciples, know that Jesus is a king and he's bringing a kingdom. They, see, they saw that through his miracles. They saw that through his teaching. He said it himself, the kingdom of God is at hand. God is doing something. And they know that, but they don't understand exactly what Jesus is doing. They think that he's inaugurating an earthly kingdom akin to the glory days of David and the nation of Israel. When the nation had political freedom, they didn't have it at this time. They were under the grip of the Roman Empire. The, the Roman Empire had control of Judea, Galilee and the surrounding areas, what was formerly the nation of Israel. They have not mistaken to think that Jesus is a king. They're not mistaken for thinking that and for inaugurating a kingdom, but he's not a king in the way they're expecting and is not inaugurating God's kingdom in the way that they are hoping. And, and so just prior to this request, Jesus says, to them, they're on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus knows what his mission is. He knows that he's going to Jerusalem for a purpose. He has done everything. He's, he's lived his earthly ministry. He, he healed people. You know, he did these miracles for three years, and now it's time to do the ultimate thing that he came to do. And he says, we're going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit him, spit on him and flog him and kill him. 
and after three days he will rise. Here, Jesus uses the term Son of Man. He uses it quite a bit to refer to himself in the third person. He never says, I, particularly in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He never says, I am going to do this. It's always the Son of Man. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man has authority on heaven to heal. He, he utilizes this term to define his messianic identity. He is the Messiah. He is the King. But they have preconceptions, misconceptions about what that means. And he utilizes that term. It comes from Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, Daniel has a vision. He sees these monsters, these beasts rising out of the sea. They represent kingdoms. They represent kings that are opposed to God and to God's people. In this vision, they're defeated. And the kingdom is given to one like a son of man. He goes up to the ancient of days, God, and he receives a throne. It, it's not said how these kingdoms are defeated. Uh, it doesn't say why the son of man receives his kingdom. But Jesus explains because he takes this term and explains that the kingdom is not what you think it's going to be. So there's that element there of the Son of Man is receiving a kingdom. He's defeating the ungodly kingdoms, but it's not explained how. We see it here. How? How that comes about. They think that the Messiah, that the King was going to come and kick out the Romans and establish Israel again. It was not the Roman Empire that needed to be defeated. It was the forces of evil and the power of sin. Those were the, that was the kingdom that needed to be destroyed. That was the force behind these ungodly kingdoms in Daniel 7. It's the power of sin, the forces of evil that empower ungodly kingdoms. And so it's, it's the forces of evil that need to be defeated in order for God's kingdom to go forth. This took place in his death. This took place in his resurrection. And this took place in his ascension. In Acts chapter 1, it says he was received on a cloud. In Daniel 7, it says that the Son of Man went up on a cloud. So, this vision is being fulfilled. I know that's not our reading for today, but I think it's so important, this background. He's taken up into heaven. The, the, the forces of evil, the kingdom of darkness has been defeated, and he's received up into heaven as the Son of Man. But, but notice, the path set by King Jesus is suffering. Because it says he's, he is to be delivered over to the chief priest. He's going to be killed. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be spit on. The path set is suffering. The way, to the, the way that the kingdom of darkness is defeated is by the suffering Messiah, the suffering king, the death of the king. So when they ask Jesus if they may have authority in his kingdom, they're, they're asking of their, their own understanding of the kingdom of God. And he reorients their thinking, saying, you don't know what you're asking for. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They reply quite quickly and quite confidently, We are able. Yes. But they don't understand. He's talking about suffering and death. But they're on board with the agenda, even though they have no clue. We'll fight with you. Get the swords. But Jesus said, pick up your cross. He says, you will drink the cup that I drink. And you will be baptized with the same baptism I will be baptized with. This is metaphorical language referring to the death of Jesus. He's saying, you will participate in my death. You will share in my suffering. But he says, it's not for me to determine who gets to sit on my right and my left. It's for those whom it has been prepared. So those who follow the king must follow in his suffering and death. This is really what Jesus is talking about. And James, the one who did indeed, uh, pardon me, James, the one who we honor today, did indeed drink Christ's cup. And he was baptized with the same baptism. He was murdered by King Herod Agrippa in our reading from Acts this morning. It says that Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. They, they seized them. They arrested them. They were violent, including James. The church. They, they grabbed on people who belonged to the church. The ones who were associated with the Christ, with the crucified Christ. And James was martyred for his association with the crucified Messiah. There isn't much comment given by Luke as to why Herod takes James. Why does James survive, but Peter, pardon me, why does James get killed and Peter survives? In God's, in, 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 it's, about, it's about divine intervention. For some reason, James is killed then. Peter, later on, faces his, his martyrdom. He suffers with Christ. There's only the command, uh, there's only the comment that he is executed. On what grounds legally was he executed? We don't know. But the Jewish people, they're happy about it. So they must have been, I'm thinking they must have been lobbying Herod to squelch this, this uh, Christ, this Jesus movement. Quite simply, there really is no explanation. But Jesus provides that divine explanation. His prophecy was fulfilled. James wasn't punished for his narcissistic request. But it was to find solidarity with his king. The path toward the kingdom of God is won by means of suffering. In death even. The vocation associated with God's kingdom is not a glorious one on earth. The kingdom of God, if it was an earthly invention, it would be much more pompous and lofty. It would not be, it would be much more glorious. There would be lots of infighting and pride to find the glory. But the path to glory is suffering, the, to be glorified by God. And, it's, and that is countercultural. 
The disciples had a different conception of the kingdom of God than Jesus presented. But whoever desires to be part of the kingdom of God must be willing to suffer for the name of Christ. The path to Jesus' throne was suffering and death. He was perfectly obedient and he was rewarded at the right hand of God with a throne at the right hand of God. So we too, if we are obedient to the calling, to the vocation, to the ministry of the kingdom of God in suffering and even death, dying to ourselves daily, if necessary, if, if death is necessary for Christ, Christ will too we will, pardon me, those who suffer and die for Christ will too receive glory in God's presence, will receive their reward. Are we all willing to suffer and die for Christ like St. James the Apostle? And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.